Welcome to Event Up, the place where people enthusiastic about events stay in the know on the latest trends within the events industry. Live, hybrid, and virtual experiences. From virtual events to conferences, award galas, and everything in between. Here's your host, Amanda Ma. Hello, welcome to Event Up, the place to get the latest and greatest in event industry news, ideas, and topics. In this episode, we'll be discussing all things events, the importance of supplier diversity, and what's to come in 2022. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Iwamoto, Chief Customer Officer at Bizly Inc. Kevin is a multi-award-winning, highly recognized, and an in-demand speaker, industry influencer, author, educator, and subject matter expert consultant in business travel, GDPR, SMM, meetings and events, marketplace and personal branding. Kevin is passionate about strategic industry advancement and best practice development. He even has a book. It's <laughs> called Your Personal Brand, Your Power Tool to Build Career Integrity. Now let's jump right in, Kevin. Thank you for coming <laughs> onto our show. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Amanda. So Kevin, how did you get started in this industry? Oh, um, well, you know, I grew up in Hawaii, Honolulu, Hawaii, where the tourism industry is like the predominant workforce uh, there. So you kind of grow up in Hawaii um, working in the hospitality industry in some way, shape or form. I even had a scholarship to attend the University of Hawaii uh, School of Travel Industry Management, where I got a bachelor's degree in business uh, uh, and so um, I, I kind of basically started in the industry, you know, from the get-go during my college years and uh, working for the airlines and working for some tour companies and um, a few hotels. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a state that's just really driven by tourism. And so whether you like it or not, at some point, you or your family members are going to be working in that industry. And it's just, you know, the way I grew up. Wonderful. And then I know you mentioned you're very passionate about strategic industry advancement, and I've seen you're actively in that space as well. Can you mm -hmm. share a little bit more about that? Why are you passionate about doing something like this? Yeah, um, I guess it's um, for me, it's because I, I'm a, I, I've always been a one never to accept the status quo. And if there's a better way of accomplishing things or getting things done, um, and I happen to discover it, or I happen to come across others who are doing something that's innovative and different, and but very um, meaningful. I, I'm not a big believer in keeping that silent. I, I'm a big believer in spreading the wealth and sharing the information, and I've always been that way. So, uh, you know, always being driven by best practices and sharing best practices, in my opinion. Um, you really start to move behavior and acceptance of things that seem uh, out of the norm that then become the norm. And I'll give you a really good example. When, when this whole concept of SMM or strategic meetings management came up, I was president of NBTA, which is today GBTA. And the whole thing started because several people, uh, travel buyers had come up to me and said, uh, corporate travel buyers had come up to me and said, you know, my management is asking me to oversee and manage our company meetings and events. And I have no clue uh, 
at all about what that's all about and what I need to do. So is there something that the association can do to give me education or training or certification around meetings and events management in addition to business travel? So I thought, hmm, that's really good feedback. So I looked around our organization and I just, there was no committees that were um, uh, dealing uh, in education or certification of meetings and events at all. So before uh, creating a, a meetings committee, groups and meetings committee for, um, for the association, I decided to approach the meeting and event associations and uh, basically ask them to collaborate and kind of come up with content and education and certification opportunities for my membership. And none of them uh, wanted to participate and do that. So I went back to the board and I said, looks like we're not gonna get the collaboration we're looking for, we're gonna have to build this ourselves. So I established a groups of meetings committee. And the one thing I asked them to do um, is to come up with a corporate uh, plan or a white paper on how enterprise companies can oversee and manage their meetings and events activities um, as a separate category of management for oversight and for budgeting and funding. And so they did more than create a white paper. They came up with this whole strategic meetings management um, process, which has now in the very beginning was a best practice uh, that all of us had to roll up our sleeves and evangelize and teach and educate um, to all the other associations as well as the industry marketplace. And today, very proud to say that you know, SMM or strategic meetings management is the go-to standard, corporate enterprise standard for companies who want to uh, manage their uh, meeting and event spend uh, more effectively and efficiently and transparently. So I think that's a good example of how I found, found out early on that when you come across something that's um, innovative, that can help others, you really need to be part of the education and evangelization of that best practice so that our industry moves forward in, in a more meaningful uh, way. And uh, we keep uh, moving the envelope and uh, you know forward versus uh, staying status quo. I've never been a uh, uh, everything is fine as it is, why break it kind of person. I've always been, why can't we do this better type of individual. So I guess it's kind of woven into my DNA or the, my fabric of uh, thinking and operating. Thank you for the work that you do, Kevin. I mean, the advancement, the advocacy is so important, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Especially in this industry, I actually feel like we don't have enough of that within this industry. Yes. But during the pandemic, more groups got together, Yeah. right? And to advocate for our industry, and it's true, they're in, I mean, we do events for corporate, we do events for large community events, right. but there's still times when people feel like, oh, you know what, like, my secretary could do your job, right? And now, yes. like, uh, sure, let her try it. You know, yeah. it's so different. Yeah, right. It is. Like the skill set. Like, yes, you could pull together a birthday party, but I think the events we do is a little bit is a lot different compared well, to Well, you know, just a that's party. a really good point, Amanda, because I can't even tell you the number of conversations I've had with C level executives who deny that they have any kind of meeting or event activity going on, and I'm like, hmm in my entire career, and I've been doing this for quite a while, I've never seen a company that doesn't organize or attend or, or have some involvement in a meeting or an event, right? So I'll usually, 
uh, take that as an opportunity to educate. And I'll say, okay, so that means you don't have like, do you have a sales force? They go, yeah. I said, do you have like sales kickoff meetings and incentive trips for top producers? They go, yeah. I said, okay, well, those are meetings. And they look at me like, hmm, oh yeah, that's true. Well, do you do a lot of um, training and development uh, from HR for your employees and your staff so they can be best in class at what they do? And they go, yeah. I said, okay, well, those are meetings. And so then you see the light go on in their heads going, oh, wow, I guess we do these things. So it's really educating them that a birthday party, a wedding is not the same as orchestrating a corporate event. Uh, there are elements that are similar, but there are so many different types of meetings and conventions and events that take place. And all of them require certain skill sets, expertise, and knowledge. Um, and it's really getting them to understand that your job is much more than just planning a meeting. Um, and, it's, it, and you have to take the time to educate them uh, so that you can turn the tide and get you know, better engagement from them, you know, more empathy yes. and more understanding and more support for what you do. You, know, you can't get there until you take the time to educate people. And I, if you don't mind, I'll cross that over to what's going on in the API community, right? It's, it's, we have the same thing because we don't educate people as to we are Americans, we are not others. Um, you should treat us like Americans and we may have a significant contribution to make in society. And we don't speak up enough for ourselves. And so how can we expect society to change their views of Asians and Pacific Islanders um, if we don't take the time to educate people and show them um, you know, that we're more than what they think we are? You know, so. I'll give you a great example. Like if I'm riding in an Uber and you know, uh, the typical stereotypical question comes up of, oh, what country are you from? Normally I would get annoyed and I would say, I'm a US citizen and kind of not talk anymore, right? Now I educate them and say, I am a third generation uh, Japanese American. I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, I grew up you know, uh, liking American sports and blah, blah. I'll take the time to explain to them that I'm just as American as you, even though I don't look what you think an American should look like. And so we have to all do our part and take the time and effort to educate and train whenever we can. Yeah, that's super well said, the educating, right? Because there is yeah. that gap and they assume. And sometimes when I tell people I'm Chinese, they're like, oh, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, like, what's the difference? I'm yeah, like, there's exactly. a big difference. Like, yeah, there's a big I'm difference. Not, yeah. you know, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. It's like at the end of the day, it's just being, you know, to all nationalities and being open and communicate, right? Yeah. Like, don't yeah. just make assumptions, but also <clears throat> as the API community, like we also need to speak up. We do. We, we need to have we need to have a more confident voice and we have to serve as role models. So like people in high visibility leadership roles like you, Amanda, you know, like it or not, you have to be a role model and you have to be an educator for for the API community because you're in a very visible leadership role. And all of us need to think of that and take that more seriously. And, you know, I'll confess early on in my career, um, it really didn't bother me that I was the only Asian leader in a room, a board meeting, or uh, you know, high levels of you know the association world or whatever the case may be. But I'd, I'd say maybe my awakening of awareness maybe happened about five, six years ago when I started to really question why am I the only Asian person in this room, and why am I not doing more 
to elevate other um, Asians and other minorities into leadership roles so that this room looks more like what this country's diversity uh, looks like versus just, you know, a predominantly white room of uh, executives and leaders. And so, again, it's really, there's a, a responsibility that all of us have to, an awareness that all of us have to accept and really do our part if we want to really change the tide of thinking. Uh, about you know the API community and and who we are and what we do, uh, and we need to elevate and, and educate whenever possible. I love that elevate and educate because mm -hmm. we are. You're right. We're in position, right? And yes. we're, we're in the position of influence. It's really great that we could put that into good use and set an example for future future generations. So yes, because so many people paved the way before us. Yes. You know, you're yes. paving the way you have a tremendous career, but you're doing all these API work, you know, and when I, I remember 15 years ago or 16 is blurry now, mm -hmm. but when I first joined, there are not a lot of API event planners, no. to be honest. And I was like, oh, I'm like the unique one. I always stand <laughs> out when I go networking events. But yeah. honestly, I live in America for so long. Like, like you said, we just consider ourselves Americans, right? Yeah. I don't walk in and be like, oh, I'm the only Asian. Yeah. <laughs> but the <laughs> fact that we are Asian, and I'm proud of that, it's yes. supporting the future generations of API, or even just anybody that want to be involved in this community to yes. really understand and champion for them that's right right that's like right. we are we are a value like this industry and we are key influence factor in terms of a company's growth and you know scale i think yeah. there's so many key like you were saying we're like the keystone right there's so many things we play into but sometimes people just don't think of that yeah mm -hmm. yeah and, and it's amazing how we become like what i call the invisible minority right because the Asian community, uh, it's, it's definitely cultural, you know, whether you're Chinese, Japanese, Korean, or Taiwanese, or Thai, or Malaysian, or whatever the case may be. Culturally, we're, we were all kind of, you know, raised uh, to work hard, put your head down, don't make waves, and just be successful, you know, but don't brag about that success, just blend in, right? And so, it's we, we have to start teaching our children that those are good things, but we also need to stand up and not be ashamed or and be more proud of what we've accomplished and where we are. It's okay to be proud and take credit of advancements that we make. You know what I mean? It's it's it we, we kind of have to break some of those internal cultural, what I call um, by uh, bondage that kind of keeps us in this space. Uh, where we continue to be like this invisible minority, you know, and I'll give you a great example. Like, I think the, the African-American community has made great representation strides in the entertainment industry. You see a lot more um, African-American actors and actresses winning awards and getting recognized and being in movies and television and, and in the music world, you know, we have a Korean male boy band BTS that's number one all around the world. These are major things that we need to celebrate and, and help to support. Um, but when you look at Asian American or Asian representation in the world of movies and television and music, um, it's really hit or miss. I mean, we, we don't even, you know, a few years ago when the Oscars, they had that hashtag Oscars so white, and then now there was more representation. But even now, the Asians uh, representation for actors and actresses or singers 
and performers is still a really single digit um, percentage of, of the you know, people that are publicly out there. So we've got, we've made great progress, but we've got a lot of work we have to do to bring awareness in. And, and so that people don't view Asians as other, but more part of the mainstream. Definitely. I remember when Crazy Rich Asian came out, we yeah. were so excited, right? Because yeah. like the first full Asian cast. And last year we did some events that are like API entertainment driven. Yeah. And that was to us, you know, one of our missions here is to change life for the better, but through events. Yeah. So for us, that event was so meaningful because mm -hmm. it was us helping you know, curate this event, but really at the end of the day, it's really champion and push these entertainment forward, entertainers right. forward and talent yeah. yes. that's out there and just kind of showcasing like they are accessible and let them connect too, right? The yes. authors, the talent, the behind the scenes people yeah. and just that whole event. I think we did two of those and, but each one just was so impactful in its own way. That's wonderful to hear. And you should continue to do that. Um, with deliberation, you know what I mean? I think, again, you know, um, awareness, education, you know, is, is everything. And we, we can't take these things for granted and we can't continue to remain silent and blend in. So it, it, it's just something that all of us have got to be consciously aware of and we need to continue to do whatever we can within our own ecosystems and microsystems to kind of always keep that messaging and information and education up front uh as it versus an afterthought mm -hmm. yes definitely and that's what i appreciate about you i actually uh, met kevin virtually so yes. he was on a panel that i you know happened to be listening into and i just thought wow he's so fantastic so oh. i looked him up and i was like i need to get to know kevin so i literally <laughs> just reach out introduce myself and you know because there's like you said there are not that many api leaders out there especially yes. in our industry so mm -hmm. it's that rare opportunity you know just take that kind of leap of faith and say yeah. hope he responds just want to say hello and he did and we connected and we kind of share the same passion about speaking up for api and dei mm -hmm. so that's why we you know sparked the conversation to invite him to come to our podcast today yeah and here we are you know yes. and, and, and i have to say when i got your message i was very first of all i was very touched that you reached out to me and second of all you know i recognized um you know amanda by your picture and by your name that you know you're an asian american leader and when i looked you up I was so blown away by so many things you've accomplished in this industry. And, you know, I mean, Amanda, you know, you have done some incredible things and you've got incredible accolades and recognition. And, and I thought, why is she like the best kept secret? <laughs> it's like, everybody should know Amanda. So I, I was very impressed by all the things that you've accomplished and done. And of course, you know, I wanted to um, collaborate with you and, and find another soul partner on this journey of, you know, awareness and education for the API community. So I'm glad you reached out, Amanda. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Kevin. And, you know, with the event and meeting industry changing so much, you yes. know, for the yeah. past two years, I mean, we were completely disrupted and now kind of coming back. Yes. Right? right. So what are you seeing in terms of new trends for this industry? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's really funny. I was talking to uh, an executive leader friend of mine at MPI this morning, and um, we were kind of talking about the industry as a whole. And, you know, 
this in it, before you know and and Amanda you would know this because you probably do this in your own you know daily work practice as well but whenever you plan events or conferences and and things you always have to have like a plan b right because something could go wrong and you kind of need to default to that plan b but what we talked about this morning is you know with the pandemic and 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 you know the spikes variant spikes that happen um there's only so much planning you can do but now you also have to have a plan C, a plan D and E um, to kind of, you know, uh, gravitate towards if something happens in the course of your planning all the way up until your event. So you, you now have to be like super flexible and super uh, ready to, to change courses on a dime um, based on the circumstances that are currently happening, you know, in terms of the pandemic. And, and truly, you know, we a lot of people that I talk to, they're still like, you know, everybody wants to get back to meeting live and in person. But the reality is, as long as the rest of the world is still struggling in terms of uh, herd immunity and vaccinations and things like that, it, and those are the situations that cause more variants to, to happen, we're going to be in this state for quite a bit until the rest of the world can be... Uh, along with the US and other um, European countries, uh, you know, more vaccinated, more immune to what's going on. Um, we kind of, some of the things that we're currently doing today in terms of COVID protocols are gonna have to remain. Like a good analogy I can use is, you know, 9-11 happened decades ago, but today, um, if you don't have global entry, you still have to take off your shoes. You still have to take your laptop and your equipment out and go through an x-ray machine. Um, you know, those things, haven't changed since 9-11. So if you apply this to our current pandemic, you know, certain things aren't going to go away, you know, anytime soon. For example, masking and vaccination checks and negative COVID tests and stuff like that. So even though we return to in-person events, um, I, I also think that hybrid event, the hybrid component of events is also not going to go away because you're going to have a certain percentage of population that are still going to, for whatever reason, be unable to attend in person, and they need that option in order to participate and be part of whatever the event is. So some of these things, we just have to understand that we're not going to go back to pre-2019 anytime soon, and some of the things that we're doing today are probably going to stay in place, not all, but some, and we have to kind of plan our, our, our events accordingly and look for technology and suppliers that can help um, help us navigate to, to this, these kind of uh, changing situations um, and also who can be flexible with us if an event has to be canceled or completely turn into a virtual event versus a hybrid event. So these are some of the things that, you know, everybody needs to just really accept and be more understanding and flexible about because some of these situations are long-term and they're not going to be fixed overnight. Supply chain is a huge issue. Uh, staffing shortages is a huge issue. And those things are not going to change overnight. And they all impact uh, the way we, we orchestrate and produce and host meetings and events and conferences. You're absolutely right. I mean, we just finished our state of industry report, Kevin, mm -hmm. and flexibility is a key factor. Yeah. 
yeah. right? Like being able to bounce back and forth, like virtual, in-person, hybrid, but yeah. you have to just be ready to go. You and have having, to be ready to go. Yeah. like you said, the supply chain issue, like having your strategic partner who are also ready that can change as fast as you, you and keep up. Right. Right. That's and right. available. I think nowadays it takes much longer to get a quote back compared to previously. Yeah. And just giving people that grace. Yes. Right? I was hearing from someone else, another <sighs> agency, they were saying they're so I guess their clients were getting upset at them because it was taking longer than usual. Yes. And they were trying to explain to a client that it's not them, but, you know, understanding the supply chain is smaller. Yeah. Right. Like even yeah. within hospitality, people don't want to go back to work at the hotel. That's so right. I recently went to an event and meet a lot of the hoteliers. They were saying, you know, even a big, big hotel, usually they could accommodate 500 people. They're yeah. now telling us, okay, we can accommodate up to a hundred. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because of staffing. So yes. just being, you know, plan ahead, have that communication and open and honest communication so that you kind of set the expectation. That's right. Absolutely. For your 100%. client, for your team and all the partners involved. 100%. And, you, and again, it goes back to, it's funny, Amanda, how it always goes back to communication and education. Right. It's like like what you said, setting the right expectation from the clients so that they're more flexible and understanding of the situation. And, you know, I mean, who would have ever thought, Amanda, that, you know, all of the the venue sourcing RFPs and things that go out now have to include these kind of questions and they can't be, you know, superficial questions. You have to really dig into the details so that you can educate and uh, you know, your, your clients as to what the current situation is. And, you know, I'll give you a good example. It's like, you know, people ask like, oh, do you have COVID protocols in place? Yes, I do. And that's it. They don't ask what protocols, right? You need to go deeper say what protocols, and then you need to ask staffing questions, you know, give me a specific percentage of staffing shortage that you're in encountering today. And what is that percentage? Is it 20%, 30%, 40%? Because at certain percentage levels, you can already read the tea leaves to say, whoever, you know, patronizes that hotel is going to have service delays, right? So rather than just throw them in there and then having them get upset and frustrated because everything is so slow, if you tell them in advance, then they'll know how to better prepare and what to expect. So it's our job to kind of find out as much as we can and educate our clients so that we don't, you know, come into these constant conflicts uh, and, and disappoint uh, because the level of expectation is, is you know, there's a gap you know? Definitely. Yeah. The, at the event, the, one of the hotel representative even said like, I'm here today. So no one is answering emails. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. she's the only one left in sales. Yeah. And then, so yeah. I was like, she's like, I'm going to have to catch up when I get back to the hotel. Like she has to do double duty. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So normally she would attend more of these hotel events where yeah. they're trying to engage more planners, but then now she has to cut it down because then she's a one woman show. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine said, um, who attended a conference, said they uh, they went to the hotel bar and the hotel was very short staffed. You know, from front desk to uh, room room maid room service, the um, the restaurants uh, didn't have enough cooks and servers, and the bar uh, didn't have enough um, uh, wait staff as well as uh, they were short on bartenders. So they were all sitting in the bar. And there was only one bartender and the poor bartender had to not only take orders, serve drinks, make the drinks and clean up and bust, you know, everything. But he, that poor 
bartender who normally would just be behind the bar was doing all of that. And then the front desk manager had to come up and help us tables and stuff like that. And it's just, this is where we are. You know, that is our reality. Um, and we just have to be patient. And so what's funny is, you know, you talk about, you know, we're in a very, our industry is very resilient. I, I will say that we, we are very good at problem solving and coming up with alternatives, right? So what the bar uh, keeper decided to do was, look, if you want to bring in, you know, your own food, um, go bring it in. Normally, we wouldn't allow it, but we don't have enough, you know, wait staff, we don't have enough kitchen staff. So you know what, if you want to go to Kentucky Fried and go bring a bucket of chicken back for everybody to please do so. And then some guy said, can I bring in my own beer, you know, because it was a table of 10. And the bartender says, yeah, normally we wouldn't allow it. But you know what, rather than wait for me to come and serve you and do all of this, he said, yeah, just go ahead. Or I could just, you know, give you all these bottles and you guys can serve yourself. So you have to kind of be understanding and flexible and kind of work together to problem solve these situations, you know, because that's where we are today. Absolutely. So next time you're at a hotel, make sure to tip them a little bit more. Oh yeah, absolutely. I find yeah. myself tipping more just so am I. know yeah. how hard, you know, they work. Yeah. So putting themselves out there. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. So I do want to talk a little bit about your book, Kevin, your sure. personal brand, the power tool to build career integrity. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. So I wrote that book um, because so the story behind the book is I, I take the time to mentor uh, up and coming uh, talented uh, hospitality industry people that I encounter. And, uh, you know, I, I agree to manage or, or mentor at least about a a handful of these folks. And um, some of them um, said to me, they said, wow, you know, I, I wish everything that I'm learning from you, you could teach this to a larger group, or, you know, would you be open to teaching our sales staff or, you know, our marketing staff or, uh, you know, our, our association staff and stuff like that. And I said, sure. Um, because again, you know, you know, it's it's that education and sharing of best practices and knowledge that really move people and and businesses forward. So I, I heavily believe in that. So so I thought you know there's just no way I can take on more mentors and there's no way I can go out because I have a full time job to go out and you know do personal brand training. I do a lot of speaking around it. Um, but if I really want to reach a bigger audience who may could benefit from it, you know, maybe I should write a book because they told me you should write a book. So I wrote this book and with the help of some, some of my millennial mentees, um, the book was a huge book. And they said to me, if you really want the millennial and the Gen Zers to read this book, you need to, you need to really um, pare it back. So uh, the book you see today is, is that you could read it like, on one plane ride, or you know, if you're in the car and you're driving somewhere and you're a passenger, and you could, by the time you get to your destination, you could literally finish the book. But it's very concise, but it's based on my own experiences and my career and my career advancement and development. And I talk about everything from leadership to social media to, um, uh, you know, uh, problem solving and and you know, uh, networking and you know, things like that. And I just give everybody you know, my own experiences and some best practice tips that I've picked up along the way. 
And uh, I do go out and speak about it. In fact, I'm doing a, a, a master's um, session on um, your personal brand um, next Monday for Gold Spring Consulting. They're doing a master's series. And so they asked me to teach that uh, series based on my, my book. And so I'll be doing that next, uh, next week. Um, but it was really my way of really helping the people in this industry. I love this industry. I always have. It's given so much to me. And it was really um, my way of trying to give back. Like I've spent the last few years of my career just trying to give back as much as I can because um, I would like to retire soon. <laughs> uh, but I would like to at least leave a legacy of learning and, and stuff behind. Uh, so it's just my way of kind of paying back this industry that's been so wonderful to me and to my career. And uh, generally, a lot of people who have read it um, uh, have really gotten a lot from it, you know, understanding more about social media and, and how it works in your favor, but how it can also work against you and how you have to have a personal brand. Most people make the mistake of adopting their company's brand, right? And when they are let go or when they quit and they leave that company, they don't have a personal identity. Their, their personal brand and identity is tied up in their employer. And so that's not marketable out there. So you need to develop, uh, you need to support your company's uh, corporate brand, but you need to develop your own personal brand in terms of what you stand for, what character you have, you know, what can people expect from you when they deal with you, you know, and, and, and really setting the tone on consistency and authenticity around building your personal brand. So it, it requires a lot of thinking and soul searching. Uh, but once you go down this path, it's how do you consistently maintain that brand so that you are relevant, um, you know, in society as well as professionally and personally uh, in your life. And it, it, it's, it's actually, you know, if you can figure that out and you devote some time and energy around reinforcing your personal brand, then I find that everything gets elevated um, uh, for you because of your new self-taught awareness of your personal brand and what you stand for and who you are. Wow, Kevin. I mean, that was so inspirational. I'm just, you can't see, right? Because we're like on audio, but I'm just like nodding my head. <laughs> <laughs> like everything you say, like taking it all in, but it's so wonderful to have someone like you to, again, pave the way, but really you, your thought of like giving back and you're already leaving a legacy. So don't worry. <laughs> it will just continue, you know, and amplify. So it's so great. And as we wrap up this podcast, I think you're already leaving so many wisdom, but any additional advice you want to share with the audience today? Uh, I would just say, um, you know, life is a journey and, you know, we, we learn no matter how old you are, you always have things to learn. You always have new things to experience. And I, I believe if you do that, you have a greater awareness, not just of your own self, but of the world around you. And you become more accepting and more tolerant. And I really believe that, you know, if you continue throughout your life and career path, if you continue to have an open mind and want to learn, want to grow, want to expand, you will have a really self-satisfying life but you'll also be what I call a true citizen of the world instead of just 
somebody who's myopic and just lives in their own little world without any care or any concern for anybody else. So be that person, pay it forward, give it back and continue learning. And you will really have a really rich and uh, uh, fulfilling life. I feel like you, you're, you were an author in your past life. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so incredible. I, you know, there are so many key takeaway for each podcast. I like to just highlight some of the key takeaway. There were so many from you today. Some that stood out was like, speak up, right? Mm -hmm. Educate and elevate. Mm -hmm. each other and especially within this specific industry mm -hmm. you know having that flexibility in this climate in our current state of industry right now having plan a b c d whatever you want to call it but just really being flexible and know that it's part of our environment right now yeah and then last but not least like really being mindful of your personal brand because it could again help elevate you as yep. a person and also in your career or it just overall in your journey yes mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank and you. Kevin, it, what is the best way for the audience to get in touch with you or even purchase a copy of your book? Uh, so they can get the, the book on uh, Amazon. Uh, I have an Amazon author page. So if you just type in Kevin Iwamoto, it'll, it'll, come, it'll take you to that page. Uh, and if they want to reach out to me, you know, I welcome, um, uh, I, I, I welcome them to uh, link up with me like you did in, in LinkedIn. Um, I will say be patient if I don't get to you right away, but um, if you could also mention that you you wanted to link up with me because of this podcast, then I'll probably accept you a lot quicker. Um, but generally, I, I, I kind of vet who I um, link up with because I have a, a, a large LinkedIn network and I don't want to compromise that network, so I'm very um, selective of who I accept, but if you mention this podcast, I will accept uh, your invitation to be in LinkedIn together, and then you can communicate with me uh, via LinkedIn chat. So Amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us today. Thank and you. For those of you that are joining in, if you have any questions or interested in reach out to Kevin, like he said, you can find him on LinkedIn. I, I was actually, when Kevin was talking about his book, I was on Amazon looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't consider myself a millennial, but definitely I'm like, you know, do it now. <laughs> Accessibility is key. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for today's episode of Event Up. If your company is looking to level up your event experience, we are your solution. We do all the work. You take all the credit. Give us a call. And don't forget to share and subscribe for more episodes. If you like what you heard today, please share with a friend. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time on Event Up. <laughs>